Well, good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. And we're going to be in Mark 4, and I don't think I have any other scripture I'm referencing. So if you want to go there on your phone or on a physical Bible if you want, Mark 4, 35 through 41 is where we're going to be. And as we were talking about this series, um, I was excited that we're going to be in the Gospels for a few weeks. There's two places in the Bible I really like. One is the Old Testament, and the other are the Gospel accounts. And so I'm really glad that we're going to be spending a few weeks here going through various stories about Jesus. We started last week, and we're going to be continued for a while. And every time I study Jesus and look at his life and his teaching, I always learn something new. And I'm more amazed about who Jesus is and his brilliance, his genius, his compassion, his love for humanity. And we've titled this series, Who is Jesus? And that question can be answered lots of different ways by lots of different people. And anyone that you've ever asked who's ever lived since Jesus was on earth could give you an answer to that, right? Some are more accurate than others, but people have said that Jesus is a teacher, prophet, the son of God, the son of man. Some view him as a mythical figure, a guru, a demigod, a miracle worker, savior, the Christ, a historical figure, a magician, a healer, philosopher, failed revolutionary, and the list can go on and on for how we can answer the question, who is Jesus? So in this series that we're going through, we're going to seek to answer that question, and specifically, we're going to look at different miracle stories from the Gospels, different miracles that Jesus performed and what they show us and teach us about who Jesus is. And as Jordan mentioned last week, Jesus didn't just perform miracles to show off his power or to make himself look good or just for the sake of doing a miracle. Jesus performed miracles to demonstrate the kingdom of God and to reveal to others who he is. So as we look at these stories, we want to always ask that question, who is Jesus and what does this miracle story teach me about Jesus? And in that list, I mentioned that Jesus is a miracle worker, which is true. He is a miracle worker, but he's so much more than that. And when people demanded that Jesus perform a miracle, that he show a sign to prove who he said he was, he often refused to do so. And he said, you've got the law and the prophets. The only sign that will be given will be the sign of Jonah, referring to his death and resurrection, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish and then came out. So the Son of Man would be three days in the earth and then come and rise again. And he refused to do miracles on demand as people wanted him to. So as we go through this series, I want us to be in awe of Jesus. But I also want us to grow in our knowledge of him and our relationships with him individually as well as collectively. But as we think about that question, who is Jesus? You know, we're never going to fully understand or comprehend Jesus. Even after we've been with him in eternity, we'll still never fully grasp who he is. We'll keep growing, gaining new insights, new understandings, which should lead us to greater awe, worship, and love of the one who came to bring us back to God. So today we're going to look at this story, a well-known story, 
probably if you grew up in church, went over it multiple times during children's church, Jesus calming the storm. Everyone who's been around Christianity for a while is really familiar with this story. But I'm excited about looking at these consecutive stories in Mark 4 and 5, which we begin today, showing Jesus' power over nature. But Mark has put these stories together, the first one showing Jesus' power and authority over nature, then his power and authority over evil, and then his power and authority over sickness and death. And it won't be in consecutive weeks going through it, but this passage in Mark 4 and 5 is a pretty awesome passage, and I'm excited about going through it and what it shows us about Jesus. So Jordan and I, this Jordan, we're going to be going back and forth, and Jordan Chapel will be in here on June 5th as well in the midst of our series, and it's going to be an eight-week series as we go through who is Jesus looking at these miracles and what they show us about Jesus. So let me pray for us again. Our Father, we're thankful that you have preserved your word for us, that we can access it, that we can study it, and most importantly, that we can encounter you through it. And I pray that that would be true of us this morning, that as we look at this fairly well-known passage, that we would have fresh eyes to see what your Spirit has for us this morning, that we would have hearts that are open and ready to respond to you with freedom and with obedience. And we pray that you would um, just bring us an experience with you, Jesus, that we would know and love you more as a result of our time today in your word. Please bless and use me. Use all of us for your purposes, Lord, and have your way in our midst. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you ever followed God, did what he wanted, obeyed him and his word, and things didn't happen as you expected or as you hoped? Maybe you shared your faith with a friend, and your friend completely rejected you. They didn't trust in Jesus. They stiff-armed you. They didn't want anything to do with what you were having to say. Maybe you followed Jesus, and your life actually became harder rather than easier, and you had hoped that it would become easier. Maybe you decided to do what Jesus wanted you to do, and it seemed like one bad thing happened after another. You know what? I've been there at times. Sometimes it just seems like everything is breaking down and falling apart at the same time. Maybe your car breaks down, you've got computer problems, you find a plumbing leak in your house, your kids are disobedient, you've got problems with your coworkers, people seem to take advantage of you, and it seems like all of this is just falling apart around you. And then add to that, maybe you've got a health problem that's been diagnosed, or a friend or loved one gets a negative health diagnosis, and you're at your wit's end. Troubles and hardship, pain, it seems to multiply. And when we have those experiences, when we are following God, when we're obeying God, when we're doing what he wants, and all this bad stuff seems to happen, we start to ask questions like, where is Jesus? I've even asked, is God against me at times in my life? I thought I was God's beloved child, so why is all this bad stuff happening? And today we're going to look at this story from Mark where Jesus' disciples seem to have that experience where they're following Jesus and bad stuff happens to them as they obey and commit to following Jesus. 
And I will say this, regardless of earthly outcomes, following Jesus is absolutely the best, the truest, the rightest decision we can make in life. You will not regret following Jesus. But when we choose to follow Jesus, we surrender our life and our rights to him. He calls us to take up our cross daily, dying to ourselves and following after him. So we have to die to ourselves so that he might live in us and through us. So what does that look like? It looks like following Jesus no matter what. No matter what that no matter what might be. In life, in death, joyous times, difficult times. The question is, will we trust him? Things could get awful, but will we trust Jesus in the midst of of the no matter what that comes up in life. The 12 disciples that we read about in the Gospels, they did this. They committed their lives to Jesus. They left the life that they knew, sometimes their family, their home. They left their vocations. They left it all behind and chose to follow Jesus as their teacher, their rabbi. And they didn't really know all that Jesus was. If you read through the Gospels, they, they're, they're learning and growing in their understanding of Jesus as we go through it, but they knew enough when they said that they were going to commit to following him, and that was enough. That they were going to say, all right, we're going to take Jesus' yoke upon us. We're going to be trained and taught by him. And it's important for us to remember this as we go through this story, that the disciples had made this commitment. They made that initial commitment that they were going to follow Jesus that he was going to be their rabbi, their teacher, and they were going to be his disciples, the ones who were instructed and trained by him. So as we go through, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, there seem to be often times where there's big crowds around Jesus. And at the beginning of Mark, this is, what we, this is what we see. There's this massive crowd around him, and it's so massive that Jesus gets into a boat to teach the people while they're on shore, and I don't know if you've um, ever thought about why this is, but one day it, it hit me when I was walking on a trail in Kickapoo and I heard some fishermen on a boat and I could hear them really well because acoustically the sound will bounce off the water and carry to shore. And so Jesus got into the boat to teach because of the acoustics, Not because there's such a large crowd so that his voice would project, he got into the boat with his disciples, and taught the people while they were on shore. So there's this massive crowd around Jesus, and he taught them many parables, Mark tells us. And when the day was done, Jesus was tired, and he left the crowd to go to the other side of the lake. So Mark 4, verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So Jesus was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Twelve disciples were with him. We don't know for sure where he was, but it's most likely Jesus was on the north shore, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were in Jewish territory. Most of the crowd would have been Jewish people. And to cross over to the other side would be to go into Gentile territory, which is where they're headed and where we'll be at in a couple of weeks. And as I read scripture, one of the things 
I like to do when I have time to think about it is I like to try to immerse myself in the story and ask myself questions. And I'd encourage you to do the same because it gives me good insight. Like, what would it have been like if I was a young Jewish disciple of Jesus and I was there, what thoughts would be going through my head? Or if I was a person in the crowd and I saw this, what would I be thinking? And I think... Those are good experiences to do as we look at scriptures, to try to understand what it would have been like if I was there so that we can enter into this story and experience the scripture maybe in a new and a fresh way. But I was thinking, if I was one of Jesus' disciples, the decision that Jesus makes to go across to the other side doesn't make any sense. I'd have a couple problems with what Jesus is doing. I'd be thinking, all right, there's this huge crowd right here. They're hanging on Jesus' every word. Jesus is like a rock star or a superhero. Look at all these people. Let's just stay here for a few days. Let's train these people. In a few weeks, in a few months, maybe there's thousands and thousands of more people. We could, we could raise up a force that we could use to go and fight against the Romans. We could mobilize them and we could go and drive them out of the land. Or maybe we've got all this power and influence over these people. Let's use this to help train them and to teach them about what God has for them in life. And I'd probably also be having some selfish thoughts like, I'm one of Jesus' twelve. I'm in the inner circle. All these people are looking at Jesus, but also they're looking at me, right? Jesus has all this power and influence, and so do I. I've got some power and influence as well because I'm one of his closest disciples. But Jesus leaves it. He leaves the crowd behind. The power, the glory, the influence that's right there. And Jesus says, deuces, we out. And you know, if you read through the Gospels, it's not the only time he does this. There's multiple times where Jesus is leaving the crowd to go off to a solitary place, to go somewhere else, to leave them behind. Because Jesus, while he cares about the people in the crowd, that's not his main focus. He knows he's got another mission. He's got something else that he needs to do. And the fact that Jesus is often leaving the crowd speaks volumes about his character, his humility, his understanding of his mission that he has while he's here. And if I'm one of the disciples, that's one of the problems, is that he's leaving the crowd behind to go across to somewhere else. But another problem is he's leaving Jewish territory. He's leaving across the lake to go to Gentile territory. And like I said, Jesus is very much Jewish, For the disciples, he was a Jewish rabbi, and not everyone was fully understanding who Jesus was, but they knew he was a Jewish man. Some thought he was a Jewish teacher. Some thought he was a Jewish prophet. Others were starting to think, hey, maybe he is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, that Jesus came for the Jewish people to bring them help, to bring them deliverance, to help them out of their suffering and oppression, and most of the crowd, like I said, would have been Jewish, and here Jesus is, and he leaves the Jewish crowd, the Jewish land, the big crowd, to go across to non-Jewish territory, to go to Gentile land. And if we jump ahead to what happens when they get over there, he leaves the big crowd for one man, 
And the disciples didn't know that. Jesus knew. He had the mission of what he was going to do when he got to the other side. But for us, looking at, back at things historically, he leaves the crowd for the sake of one single man who wasn't even a Jewish man. And so if I was one of Jesus' disciples, I'd have some problems with what Jesus is doing. But they trusted him anyway, right? They were with him in the boat. They didn't jump and swim back to shore when Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side. They trusted him and went with him to the other side of the lake. The first thing Jesus does, if we jump ahead a little bit in this passage, is he's tired and goes to sleep. (laughs) Well, the disciples are the ones taking care of the boat to get to the other side. But Jesus says, hey, let's go. We're going to leave. We're going to go across to the other side. And the disciples, they, they have made enough of a commitment to Jesus that they trust him. Whatever objections they might have, whatever um, misunderstandings or questions or doubts, they trust Jesus to go to the other side. They're with him in the boat. And a question I have for us as we think about this passage, is, are you in the boat with Jesus? Am I in the boat with Jesus? Have we committed ourselves to him? Have we surrendered ourselves to him so that we trust him no matter what? Will we follow him even when things don't make sense, when things don't go our way, when things don't turn out the way we expected, when maybe trouble or persecution comes from following Jesus? Are we in the boat with him, and will we stay in the boat with him? Are we going to trust Jesus? And the disciples, they were in the boat, but they didn't know what was, they didn't know what was coming. They maybe didn't even know why they were leaving and going to the other side. And getting in the boat means we don't necessarily know the outcome. We don't necessarily know the end goal of where we're headed, but it means that we are going with Jesus and we're trusting him and his mission and his plan for us and knowing that his plan is even better than ours, that he's got good things in store for us even when tragedy or trauma happens in our life. And our job is to trust, not to determine how things turn out. We don't need to solve all the problems. We just need to take those problems to Jesus and trust him to work through our problems in our lives and the problems in the lives of those around us. Do we trust that he's got better plans than we do for ourselves? Even when things don't make sense, he's always working for our good. And like Jesus prayed, pray that we should pray as well. Not my will, but yours be done surrendering, committing ourselves to Jesus, getting in the boat with him. And so the disciples, they're there, literally. They're literally in the boat, and they go with Jesus. And in verse 37, while they're out in the Sea of Galilee, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So I've been there on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, And the weather was decent while I was there. But apparently, because of the geography, because the Sea of Galilee is in a bowl, it's below sea level, and there's a ring of 
hills all the way around that apparently windstorms can just spring up like, like that because of the geography. And the disciples would have known that because several of them were fishermen. A lot of them were around the Sea of Galilee. But they go out, and while they're out in the middle of the lake in the sea, this huge windstorm comes up. It's so severe, in fact, that the boat is being swamped, and it looks like it's going to capsize and everyone's going to drown. So the disciples, they trusted Jesus. They went in the boat with him to go across to the other side. But because they followed Jesus, they follow, found themselves in a life-or-death situation. They found themselves in a boat that was about to sink, and they were about to drown, all because they trusted Jesus and followed him. And you can imagine the thoughts going through their head, like, what the, Jesus, why, what are you doing? Why, I followed you, and here we are, we're about to die when we're out here in the middle of the lake. And I don't know if you've ever had a similar experience to what I mentioned at the beginning, or like what they're going through, that we've made the decision to follow Jesus and found ourselves in a storm of some kind. Maybe trauma, pain, anguish, numerous challenges in life, and it's all because we follow Jesus. Things became harder rather than easier when we followed him. And notice that Jesus didn't prevent the storm. He could have. He could have prevented the storm, but he didn't. God also didn't prevent the three Hebrew youth from being thrown into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. He didn't prevent Paul's shipwreck in the book of Acts or the multiple imprisonments that Paul had. God didn't prevent over and over again faithful, godly people in Scripture having to go through awful and terrible circumstances at times. And if we look at history, God didn't prevent the deaths of so many godly and faithful people as they faced persecution and hardship, God didn't prevent his own son being killed on the cross. And in all those cases, he could have. God could have prevented all of that. But God was with them in the midst of their trials and their sufferings, and accepting Jesus' death on the cross as our exception, I guarantee everyone who went through those trials and sufferings with God, on the other side of it, they had a greater revelation of who God was and a deeper relationship with him and a greater dependency on him as a result of all those terrible experiences that they had. What about for us? Jesus didn't prevent the death of your friend, family member, or loved one. He didn't prevent your job loss if you've ever lost your job. He didn't prevent the car accidents that you've been through, the health problems, the relationship problems, the trials, the pain, the suffering in life. He didn't prevent the health problems that many people in our congregation are experiencing right now. And he didn't prevent my dad getting cancer and dying from cancer. We pray, we seek healing, we seek miracles, but God doesn't always perform the miracle that we want. He doesn't always prevent the hardships that happen in life. He doesn't always prevent the trials, the pain that we go through. But you know what? 
Jesus is with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of persecutions, trials, tests, tribulations. He truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And maybe that's the most important thing for us this morning. We sing a song at the Hope Center where one of the lines is, God is always with me. And it says, fear, get out of here, because God is always with me. That if we trust him in the midst of the hardship, the pain, the difficulties that come up in life, on the other side of that, we will gain a greater revelation of who God is, greater dependency on him, and a closer relationship with him, but we've got to trust him. We've got to get in the boat, and then we've got to stay in the boat with Jesus, because it's better to be with Jesus in the boat, in the midst of poverty, pain, suffering, than to be on shore in a place of wealth, prosperity, where we can live it up, eating and drinking, for tomorrow we die. No matter what happens in life, it's much better to be with Jesus. So let me encourage you to get in the boat with him, to trust him, and then to stay in the boat with him because he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and he'll be with you till the end. If we trust in him and what he's done for us, he'll forgive all your sins and prepare an eternal home with him. And while we're in the boat, don't give up. Trust him till the end. The disciples did that. They trusted Jesus, committed their lives to him. They got in the boat. They left the crowds. They went across to Gentile territory. And now they probably really have some doubts and are questioning Jesus because here they are in the middle of the lake and this terrible storm has come upon them and it looks like they're about to drown. What's Jesus doing? While all the disciples are panicking and fearing for their lives, Jesus is asleep. And there's a lot of theology in the fact that Jesus is asleep in this passage, and we could probably have a full sermon on that. But just a couple things. One thing it teaches us is that Jesus is fully human. The fact that Jesus slept. Jesus went to sleep. Jesus experienced everything that we experience in life, except he never sinned. He got tired, he got hungry. He got thirsty, he experienced pain, suffering, hardship. He needed help from others at times. He experienced all the different emotions that we have in life. He was fully a physical human being and needed to sleep. And he was tired from a day of teaching and went to sleep in the boat. Also, the fact that Jesus was asleep tells us that he wasn't worried or anxious. He was at peace because he was on mission, and he knew that everything was going to be all right. And so he was able to peacefully sleep in the boat. Contrast Jesus sleeping with the disciples in the storm. In verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I imagine it was a little more urgent and frantic than that. Don't you care, Jesus? We're about to die. How are you asleep? They trusted Jesus as their teacher. They followed him, but here they are about to die in the Sea of Galilee. 
but at least they have enough sense to go to Jesus. We could even say that they're praying to Jesus, because talking to Jesus is prayer, right? And they say, get up, Jesus, help us, don't you care? How often do we ask a similar question when going through a difficult experience? Jesus, don't you care about the loss of my parent, my child, my good friend? Don't you care about me losing my job or about the fire or the natural disaster that's happening? Don't you care about my mental or emotional health? Don't you care about my marriage? Don't you care about my family? Don't you care about what I'm going through? I'm going to drown. Get up, Jesus. Help me. So let me encourage us to always go to Jesus with our our questions, with our problems, to talk to him, to yell at him even, but we got to go to Jesus. Don't give up on him. And one thing sometimes I don't think we realize, we can be honest with him about our struggles, our pain, our emotions, because Jesus can handle it. Jesus can even handle people cussing him out. Not that I would encourage you to to do that, but he can handle the raw emotions that we feel in life. And we just need to be honest with him about what we're going through and to keep talking with him because he wants a relationship with us and wants us to talk with him about all that we experience, all that we have happened to us in life. And I can't promise that Jesus is going to do for you what he does here for the disciples But here's what happens for them while they're in the midst of this life or death storm. In verse 39, he, which is Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed. He spoke to the chaos and brought peace. And in the original language here in this passage, the word great is repeated three times. We don't see it, but it says that there's a a great storm. And Jesus spoke and brought a great calm to the sea. And then the disciples responded by fearing a great fear. There is a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. And Jesus rebuked the great storm, the wind and the waves. And then he, then he basically rebukes the disciples. Why are you afraid? Do you have any faith? The storm of the sea was calm, but the disciples' hearts weren't calm. They had great fear and asked each other, who is this? Who is Jesus? Which is where we got our sermon title from for this series, from the disciples asking, who is Jesus? Jesus. In verse 38, they call out teacher, but they don't yet realize that Jesus is much more than their teacher. He's much more than their rabbi. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. They were in the boat with Jesus. They called out to him in the midst of their distress. They trusted him, and because of their trust in the midst of their fear, they gained a greater revelation of who Jesus is and had a greater revelation or relationship of trust with him. Maybe you followed Jesus as your Savior, or you came to him for healing at some point, 
But through trials or through suffering, you came to understand a greater revelation of who Jesus is, that he's your sustainer, your provider, your help in time of need. He's your peace, your wisdom, your strength. Maybe like the disciples, you gain the understanding that he is the Lord. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's my Lord as well. Maybe these are some of the things that you're currently learning When going through trials and suffering, we need to ask God, what do you want me to learn through this? What do you want me to learn about me, about you? And maybe it's just a greater dependence on him. Maybe it's a deeper trust in him. Maybe he's trying to help ourselves die to ourselves so that more of Jesus can shine through us, which is something that I feel like he's been trying to teach me recently through some different trials I've been going through is I just got to die to myself. (laughs) I got to die to myself and my self-centeredness and my selfishness and give it up so that Jesus can shine more fully through me. Jesus' disciples, they got in the boat with Jesus. They trusted him, committed their lives to him. The life-threatening storm came upon them and they cried out to him and because they did, They had this greater knowledge and relationship with him. So what are we going to do when the challenges and trouble come while we're in the boat with Jesus? And if you haven't had many challenges and trials, if you're young and you haven't had many, I guarantee they will come. There are going to be challenges and trials that come in life because that's how it is in a world that still has sin within it. But how are, we going to be, how are we going to respond? Will we cry out to Jesus like the disciples did? Or maybe we'll try to figure it out ourselves. The disciples could have just bailed water and left Jesus asleep and tried to figure it out themselves. Or they could have just abandoned ship and tried to swim to shore. Will we cry out to Jesus? Or will we try to figure it out ourselves? Or just abandon ship entirely? Let me encourage us to cling to Jesus, and to be the ones who cry out to him. No matter how difficult or challenging life becomes, stay in the boat with Jesus, cry out to him, and if we do, we'll grow closer to him and more dependent on him in life. And he can give us peace, even in the midst of the pain, the brokenness, the trials or the chaos that we might go through. He can give us a supernatural peace in the midst of that. So what is the new understanding of Jesus that the disciples gain? Who is Jesus? He's not just their teacher, but they learn, and it may not be immediate, but this is in process to help them learn that he is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the creator. If we recall Genesis 1, God created by speaking just realized we are going outside of the passage, but that's all right. I couldn't remember what all was in what I was talking about. But if we recall Genesis 1, God created by speaking, right? And if Jesus calms the wind and the waves by speaking to them, it shows us that he has power and authority over nature, over the wind and the waves, because only the creator has verbal authority over nature, One of the twelve, one of the ones who is in the boat there with Jesus, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, the fourth gospel, 
he understood this. He learned the lesson, and he wrote these words in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And just so you know, the Word here is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was there in the beginning. He was involved with the creation of the universe. Jesus was the disciples' teacher, but now he shows them that he is also the creator and has power over nature. Jesus isn't done, though. Because as we continue this story in the coming weeks, we'll see what other things Jesus' disciples learned and what we can learn about Jesus as well, that he has power over nature. He has power over evil, over sickness, over death. He has power and authority over everything and anything that can come against us in life. And before we close, I want to think about what we can learn from the disciples' response to Jesus calming the storm, about literally them fearing a great fear. They feared a great fear when they saw what Jesus did. And it shows us that Jesus is gracious. He put up with the disciples. They didn't fully grasp everything about who he was. They were like, who is this guy? (laughs) It says they were terrified in one translation. But Jesus was gracious and put up with them, and he didn't give up on them. He didn't say, just get out of here and start over with a new group. He continued to love them and to train them and to work with them. And that's good news for us as well, because we don't always fully understand Jesus. We don't always fully understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. But just as Jesus put up with the disciples, Jesus is very gracious with us and puts up with us in the midst of our fear our failure, our shortcomings in life because he is a loving God and he loves us and is willing to work with us and won't give up on us. And because of that, we shouldn't give up on others either. Because no matter how far things look like they're gone, there's always hope because God is with us and God is always at work which is why I have relationships with disobedient, hard-headed kids. I know people who are murderers, criminals, drug addicts. I know that there is always hope. No matter what situation someone finds themselves in, whatever has happened to them or what they have done, as long as you're living and breathing, there is always hope. And Jesus doesn't give up on us, and so we shouldn't give up on others as well because he is a gracious, loving God and is willing to work with us and even in the midst of our lack of faith and our doubts that we have at times. So we need to remember that, that Jesus is gracious. Just like he was with the disciples, he's still gracious and loving with us today. So who is Jesus? Lots of things to lots of people. But I pray that we all will be people who trust him completely, surrendering our lives, our futures, into his hands, that he would be our Savior, our Lord, and that we would be lifelong followers of his. So let's get in the boat and stay in the boat no matter what happens because trials will come, tests of our faith will come, 
Storms will come, but when they do, let's go to Jesus, because even if the storm is great, he can bring a great calm to a great storm. He has a peace available to us as his children, a peace that nothing in the world can match. So let's go to him and stay with him through all things, knowing that he is always with us, that he will get us through, and that he has new things for us as we go through those hard times. Let me pray. God, we are thankful that you are loving, that you are gracious, that you are kind and compassionate. We thank you that you don't give up on us even when we mess up, even when we don't fully understand everything. We're thankful for who you are. So please give us faith, increase our faith to trust you no matter what happens in life, no matter what might be coming down the road, whatever kinds of health problems or disasters or trauma we may experience. Give us an unshakable faith that we will trust you through the storms, knowing that you have the power to get us through and that you are always going to be with us. Please let those words ring in our head that you are Emmanuel, God with us, no matter what, and that you are always good. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.